0: Welcome to the Community Builder Podcast. The world is our classroom, and every moment is an opportunity to understand human connection at a newer level. On this podcast, we'll explore the minds of active community builders as they strive to leave their imprint on the world. I am your host, Travis King. Let's build. Before we get started, we would like to thank our sponsor, Cruise Control Music, the ultimate audio branding experience. Cruise Control Music creates custom, authentic sounds and music to showcase your brand identity and is a direct reflection of your vision, goals, and values. If you're looking to start or level up your podcast experience, log on to cruisecontrolmusic.com. And today I'm super excited to sit down with Jason Gaynard. How are you doing today, Jason? Dude, I'm excited. Thank you for having me. Same. I'm, I'm super excited and have um, been excited ever since James initially, you know, introduced us. And you know, really want to expose the community to all the amazing things you've been up to at MMT. Um, and yeah, so would you mind telling the audience kind of a little bit about yourself, kind of where you're from, your quick background, and. Yeah, would love to dive in.
1: Yeah, so uh, based just outside of Toronto, so I'm kind of born and raised in Toronto, Canada. And uh, basically, the the short version of my story was that uh, I dropped out of high school. I wasn't much of an academic, unfortunately. And I started a service-based business. And realized quickly that services, service-based businesses are hard to scale. So I pivoted into an online product business, which we grew to about six, seven million dollars a year over four years with no outside investments. And I was traveling the world, making a ton of money. With all that money and all that free time, I start to ask myself questions like, "Why am I here? Will I be remembered? How many people show up to my funeral?" And I was not happy with the answers I was giving myself. And after being an entrepreneur for Seven years. Ultimately, I discovered that I, I built a business I hated to enable me to buy things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. So I became comfortable with getting out of that business, and I could have positioned it for sale. But the only problem was is that uh, it would have been like a year or two year process to kind of get the business ready, find a buyer, and then do some kind of earn out and I just couldn't do it to myself. So I became comfortable with scaling that business down to zero over like about a one year period. And unfortunately things didn't go as planned. Uh, (laughs) My goal was to like land at zero, have a little bit of cash left to start something new. Unfortunately on the way down, uh, two things happened that were beyond my control that landed me a quarter billion dollars in debt. And basically when the dust settled, that was like August of 2012. And that was kind of my, my rock bottom so to speak because yeah, being a quarter million dollars in debt, I had no business, no cash flow, didn't know what I was going to do next. My daughter was turning six months old and I was having a hard time adjusting to that. I just got married to my wife the following month in September. So uh, there's a saying that when one door closes, another one opens, but it sucks to be stuck in the hallway. And that was a very dark hallway for me at the time. And then um, in that transition time, this all happened in August. In September, a friend of mine posted a Facebook that they had a extra ticket to go see Seth Godin in New York. And I've always been a big fan of Seth's work, and I had no other obligations at the time, so I decided to take her up on this opportunity. And I went to this workshop, and I had no clue what it was about, but when I got there, um, the theme of it was the connection economy and how there's huge value connecting like-minded individuals. And at the time, I felt very disconnected and isolated as an entrepreneur. So when I came back to Toronto, I started hosting these things called mastermind dinners, where I'd invite eight entrepreneurs out for dinner with the core focus of connecting them. And the first one I did, I almost canceled 2 hours prior. Because I'm like, nobody's going to see value in this. They're going to think I completely wasted our time. But thankfully, it turned out to be a great success. And I just got clarity that evening that connecting people was... Uh, or just being in the presence of just fascinating people was something I wanted to do to some capacity for the rest of my life. And not necessarily as a business, because I wasn't actually monetizing these these dinners. I was paying for them out of pocket. Which, you know, being a quarter million dollars in debt... And you know, I was, I was basically on the brink of bankruptcy, and that's how I kind of rationalized doing these dinners was that the bank could take my car, they could take whatever measly assets I have left, but they can't take my relationships. So investing in my relationships to me were the safest investment I could make. And uh, but a month or two after that, I had an opportunity that kind of landed on my lap uh, to do an event with a guy named Tim Ferris, who's a well-known uh, business author. He has, I think, five New York Times bestselling books now. And, um, yeah, just saw it as a chance for me to do what I do in these dinners, but on a larger scale. And uh, our first event was... Or first, really, what was only supposed to be our, our only event t- took place in May of 2013. And uh, I always say that ignorance, confidence, and hard work can go a long way when you're an entrepreneur. I had no clue what I was doing whatsoever. Uh, but that actually turned out to, to to work in our benefit. And, you know, our event turned out to be almost more similar to like a wedding than it was a conference. And, um, it was application only. We had 4,200 entrepreneurs apply for that first event. Um, because that first event worked out so well, we decided to do a second event because, uh, most of my friends in the event space, you know, the, the, the common, a common disclaimer about that industry is that it's really hard to, to, to make a successful, um, business in the event space. So we decided to prove to do a second one to prove that the first one wasn't a fluke because I thought the first one was probably a fluke as well. Uh, But thankfully, the second one turned out to be a big success. And we just wrapped up our sixth live experience in Park City in September. And our next one um, is in Cabo in October. So a little less than a year away. And that sold out in 2020. We're bringing it to South Carolina.
0: Wow. That's impressive. Um <laughs> thanks so much for the the you know fast forward rewind and I guess if you wouldn't mind, um, I would love to dive into kind of that moment when you kind of first got started, because it seems like to me, just for this is from my point of view, you're, you kind of been through the entrepreneurial, like full life cycle already, like right now, entrepreneurship is very hot and very, you know, trendy, but you've kind of been through that full life cycle. So could you talk to us a little bit about kind of when you realized like things weren't going so well, um, and kind of what you did to get out of that?
1: Yeah, so, um, and it's funny that you address it as a life cycle, because there, there is definitely, the people that we serve with at Mastermind Talks, they're very successful at what they do. And there's actually, um, there's a saying by Zig Ziglar that you go from survival to sustainability, sustainability to success, and then success to significance, and uh, I find myself in that position where you know I reached a certain level of success, and I'm like, well, doesn't matter. And now what? Um, and a lot of my peers are kind of in that same position as well, that they're 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 seeking significance on some level. So when you ask them a question like, "What are three things you'd like to be doing in three years?" Common answers are mentoring, advising, investing, speaking, writing books, those kind of things. So uh, for me, like I said, I just it was one of those things that I pursued my model of success at the time, which was to make as much money as possible, given the limited skill sets that I had, so to speak. So, um, you know, and eventually I I achieved that. And it's, it's, it's a pretty scary moment when, you know, you, you climb this mountain, you get to the top of the mountain and you're like, shoot, this is the wrong mountain. Um, you know, I have to climb the one over there, so to speak. Um, so, for me, like when I got out of that business, um, like I said, it was a hard decision to decide to scale down because it was a successful business. And a lot of people I know um, would just stay in it uh, and just kind of drudge through, you know, day after day because it pays the bills or supports their family and, and those kind of things. And for me, I just one thing I've always had is that when I kind of Realize that I'm on the wrong path. um, I have to make a change like right away. Like I can't delay the decision. Like the decision happens right away, and I just I can't keep uh, continuing on, so to speak. So um, for me, I knew that I didn't want to. When I was in that transition period, and basically had a blank slate as far as what I was going to do next, on some level, um, I knew I just didn't want to pursue something for the sake of money um, because I had already kind of fallen into that trap. And, uh, especially the business I was in before was e-commerce. So we didn't have any control over who we served. Um, so, you know, so whoever bought, you know, products from our website, was ultimately our client. And I wanted that to be very different uh, for my next business. And the reason we did this whole application only type model was because I wanted to be very selective as far as who I, I serve. And, for me, the, the funny thing was and what has been really the crux of all of our success over the years, because um, for context, we've, we've had just over 17,000 entrepreneurs apply for a community that's capped at 150 people annually. Uh, again, our 2019 event is, is sold out a year in advance. Our 2020 event, when we go to announce it, will be sold out rather soon as well. We've had all, like, all the success and really the, the core of it um, really comes down to the, the curation of the community. And there's so many different ways you can curate a community. There's you know there's organizations that are out there like EO or YPO where your business has to do a certain revenue figure, and that's the only barrier to, barrier to entry. And that works when you want to build a community at scale on some level, but you won't have good quality throughout. So uh, for for me, what I did was when I initially had these phone calls, I try to assess if they were the right fit. So I want to ensure that you know um, them coming to MMT would be. They get a you know some kind of like 10x ROI or something like that. Uh, I also would ask questions like, "What's the most enticing aspect of the event that makes you want to join us?" And if they say it's to meet Tim Ferriss or Lewis House or whoever, then that wasn't you know uh, that usually was a red flag that they weren't the, aren't the right fit because um, you know I don't want people to put other people on pedestals and I don't. There's no soliciting our events and that kind of stuff. But ultimately, when I got off the phone with them. Um, every single person, I'd ask myself, would I want to have dinner with this person? And if the answer was no, I didn't care how successful they were on paper, I would refund their money or I just wouldn't extend an invitation to begin with. And I didn't know if that level of curation would pay off initially. But again, that's been really the, uh, the, the, the main thing that has made us so successful over the last few years.
0: That's amazing. And I really love that you're, you're really selective about it because I think that's one thing, especially just looking at so many different communities is understanding who you accept in and who's actually, you know, getting the most out of the community. And if it's not built for like people, um, that you select, definitely, you know, it can get misguided and the missions can get misaligned and it can become a mess. So definitely love that you, um, select people and they apply.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a book called 22 uh, Immutable Laws of Marketing, and there's a line in it that, that I always keep in the back of my head, which is you stand for something or you stand for nothing. And you can't speak to everybody's model of the world. You simply can't. Um, and in the whole context of a community, like we all have a deep desire to be surrounded by like-minded individuals. And there's um, a philosophy that I talk about uh, called uncommon commonalities. And the deeper the uncommon commonality that people share, the deeper the bond. So um, statistically, I don't see if I can get this right. I'm pretty sure I know I know it offhand, but statistically, if I were to walk out this office right now and meet a thousand people at random, three percent of them would be entrepreneurs or business owners. Meaning if I were to find myself at an event or at a dinner with you know uh, 30 entrepreneurs, uh, that's a pretty unique kind of experience and most, most likely in that environment, I'll build deep bonds with them rather quickly because they're similar to me. Well, let's say you're an entrepreneur that has a seven figure business. Um, they represent four percent of that three percent. So you, you'd have to stop twenty five people, twenty five thousand people at random, in order to meet thirty entrepreneurs with seven figure businesses. So again, you find yourself in an event with only entrepreneurs with seven figure businesses. That's a really unique opportunity. And Generally, in those environments, uh, again, because those people are similar to you, they you'll the, the speed in which you kind of foster those relationships will will increase kind of significantly. Um, and then there's so many ways to cut that. I mean, you also could be on Twitter with seven figure business with kids, uh, or kids under the age of five, or, you know, formally served in the military. Like again, the, the stronger the uncommonality, the stronger the uncommon commonality, the stronger the bond. So, uh, that's something we're, we're definitely kind of very conscious of.
0: Oh, thanks for sharing that. And it, it totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah. So th- another thing that I was like really curious about was, you know, kind of looking at your, you know, the guests that you've had on your podcast, some of the people that um, you've mentioned earlier, uh, what do some of the underdogs that have attended MMT look like? Like who were some of those people that, you know, after really considering it, you're like, wow, I actually would want to have dinner with this person that kind of like surprised you if you wouldn't mind sharing, if not totally okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, uh, so we don't, Uh, By the time somebody comes to Mastermind Talks, they've been heavily, heavily vetted. So there's usually no surprises. Uh, If there are surprises, it's, it's usually something that's not good and they're removed. <laughs> so, um, because usually like the good stuff is why I picked them in the first place. Um, right. We definitely do have like, oh, so we we have a scholarship program uh, at Mastermind Talks. And uh, basically for the last two years, we've partnered with an organization called the Five Ventures, which basically helps men and women transition out of the prison system um, into entrepreneurship. Because one thing that they've discovered is that you know, uh, if you've built a business selling drugs on the street, um, ultimately it's very similar to like the structure of any business for that matter. You're just pushing the wrong product, so to speak. So, um, so basically they help foster that hustle, so to speak, uh, into, uh, you know, and, and lean that towards kind of business and entrepreneurship. So, uh, we've had some, uh, we usually have about Five or so um, people who've gone through the program uh, join us at at mastermind talks, Um, and I would definitely consider those individuals on some level uh, an underdog. And those people are always just super impressive. Um, I mean, just to hear their their backstories and what they've overcome, and you know, your ego likes to think that there's a huge line dividing you and and somebody who would do something illegal to end up in jail, but unfortunately that's that's really the case it's it's when you hear about their circumstances and what they've had to overcome um, given if you were in the same position you'd probably make the same decisions on some level so uh, so yeah we, we, we try to have a well-balanced kind of community where it's not just uber successful people we have kind of people at almost every level because there's there's one thing I remember when I was kind of if I could boil down my success to anything is I've always surrounded myself with uh, on like people who are two or three levels ahead of me, so to speak. So you know, if I want to get fit, then I surround myself with people who are like triathletes or like marathon runners or or, or that kind of stuff. Or if I want to make more money, I surround myself with entrepreneurs who are um, you know crushing it in business. The only problem is, is when I was earlier in my entrepreneurial journey, those were the only people I surrounded myself with, and the end result is that you're always measuring up. So when you measure up, you always feel like crap. <laughs> Your self-worth goes down the drain because you're always you know, measuring to people that are higher than you. And you're like, why am I the most broke person in my peer group? And why am I the most out of shape? And that kind of stuff. So the one thing I've, I've done on a personal level, and we've applied this to our community, is that um, it's like the law of 33%. I try to spend a third of my time with people who are... Uh, above me, so um, I can feel kind of inspired, and it, unconsciously, what it does, it pushes you to get to the level as quickly as possible, so you can feel like you belong because we all have a deep desire to belong. Um, I spend a third of my time with people who are quote unquote at my level, my peer groups, uh, my peer group, so to speak, because we all have a deep desire to feel understood. Um, and then I try to spend uh, or invest a third of my time with with people who I can. Kind of lift up, so to speak, and mentor and support. Um, And we've taken that model um, to to our community at MMT. And so we have people who you'd consider, I guess, underdogs. We have people who are incredibly successful, and kind of everything in between. And we're very conscious about that that
0: mix. I love that. And. I actually would love to unpack that a little bit further. Um, When you were talking about, you know, people that were above your level, at your level, or um people that were below your level, how do you deal with those interactions, like, in between? Like, for the people above you, like, I remember when I was a triple jumper... I always kind of knew the people that were ready to show up and compete. And we always knew that, you know, on the national level, these were the people that were going to show up and be there. So I feel like it's kind of a similar way mm-hmm. when you have people in business. It's like, oh, we've all been here, we've achieved these things, and we're all on the same level. So could you talk a little bit about your relationships between the different tiers? Yeah. So how do I treat them differently? Uh, yeah, I guess or like, what's something that someone who's looking to surround themselves with someone who's two to three levels above them? Like, what are some things that you do or have done that they might be able to use? Because I feel like sometimes that can get intimidating for people. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they can be like, Oh, am I being annoying? Do they really want to spend time with me at all? So sure. I, I guess if that may, if that helps.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, there's, there's Kevin Spacey has a saying that uh, when you achieve a certain level of success, it's almost a responsibility to, to send the elevator back down. So a lot of successful people I know, um, or what would you qualify as successful, um, have a strong desire. Again, as I made, mentioned, they move from success to significance. And I've made some really... Uh, Great relationships with people who are incredibly successful because I can help them with that significance piece. Um, and for me, though, the way I do it is, is you know, I can support them with like coming out with a book or book marketing or help them launch a podcast or get them on speaking stages or those kind of things. So that's how I can be a value to them and show up for them. There's also like the mentor-mentee relationship, and again, like anybody who's had any level of success has not nobody's does anything great alone right they've had support along the way they've had somebody believe in them along the way that kind of stuff so generally there's always this innate desire to to um pay it forward and, it and send the elevator back down so it's funny i had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine recently who's really really successful and we talked about the whole idea of like mentorship and how it played a role in his life and all that kind of stuff and to my surprise um I asked him like, something like, I'm like, you must get hit up all the time uh, for, for somebody to, to be mentored by you and that kind of stuff. And he's like, surprisingly, no, he's like, nobody reaches out to me because there's this like idea that because he's so successful, and because he's so busy that he never say yes. But the truth of the matter is nobody's just ever asked. So there, there is definitely, from a, a successful person's vantage point, there's always a strong desire to kind of, again, support and help that quote-unquote next generation and pay it forward and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's a, almost like this common misconception because people think that the more successful people get, the more... Almost detached they are from that notion, and the busier they are, and more and obviously they are busier. There's more time demands, but oftentimes what grows underneath that is that strong desire to to help and support because they were supported at one point in time. As far as um, the other side of things, I mean, generally one of the the biggest thing is this. There's a saying. How does it go in, in the dating world? there's uh, this whole notion of would you date yourself? So if you're single and you're on the market, would you date yourself? Meaning, um, you know, if you want to date, you know, a very pretty lady who's like a 10 out of 10 um, and, you know, she's fit, athletic, successful, and you live at home with your parents and play video games uh, and you're out of shape, you know, good luck with that on some level, right? Like likes Mm -hmm. attract like. So the same notion with, if you want to have somebody mentor you, are you worth almost investing in on some level? Like what makes you fascinating? And you know, what are you, when you get information, do you take action on it? Or you just, do you, do you have a hard time being coached and and those kind of things? There's, there's a lot of, to me, it's almost like you have to get your own house in order before you start reaching out to, to people to, to kind of, help you or support you or even be friends with you. So, and that's stuff all within kind of your control. Cause I know one of the biggest complaints I have and and friends of mine have as well is when somebody asks you for advice or for something you give them advice or you open a door for them uh, and they don't do anything with it. And that's more common than you could possibly believe it happens all the time. So if you're one of those individuals that like ask for, you know, some advice, you get that advice back and you take action on it and you show that person Uh, they'll be much more likely to kind of reinvest and reinvest and reinvest um, into that relationship. So and make it more reciprocal. And also there's one important thing to note that like, there's just this whole notion of uh, fake it till you make it. Like sometimes you connect with somebody who you know is not that successful yet. And they, but they have this like ego around it or they are this playing this whole like fake it till you make it type thing. And the best relationships I've, I've built like the baseline for it when I reach out to somebody it's just blatant kind of transparency of like saying like, hey, whatever, I'm 18. Just uh, dropped out of high school. This is what I'm looking to do. I admire your work. Here's X, Y, and Z for like some of the reasons why. Uh, and just that brutally honest kind of outreach and that transparency uh, goes a long way. Because again, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the, there's a whole saying that like fake news doesn't just apply to politics. It applies to like Instagram and like Facebook and this like this, this, the way we portray ourselves, um, to be like, you know, living these perfect lives and that kind of stuff. And that comes across when people try to build relationships with successful people or kind of reach up, so to speak, and people can see right through it. So just, it's much more refreshing to be just blatantly transparent, um, as far as like where you are, where you want to go, why that, that person specifically can help or support you, um, and approach it from that, that perspective.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. Totally love that. And I think the the brutally honest is is something that's very hard for people to do nowadays because I feel like so many people are afraid of hurting people's feelings and um, just not sure how to tell the truth all the time, especially about what they want and what they're passionate um, or curious about. So definitely love that, you know, brutal honesty. I guess another thing I've been curious about is how you stay connected with so many people throughout the year. Mm-hmm. S- since you know MMT is such a a huge part of a year, and your sole focus is on that, like how do you stay connected with with your community? Uh, so, the,
1: uh, so meet my relationships in general, or just with the community?
0: Um, just your relationships in general, like yeah. with your friends, family. Pierce. There's something called Dunbar's number. Uh, so Robin
1: Dunbar is a social anthropologist, I think, um, and basically years ago uh, he discovered that humans have a cognitive limitation as far as the the amount of social relationships they can have at one point at, at a single point in time, um, and he capped that at, at about 150 and that's dependent on iq so there's a it's variable like some people could do 180 some people could do 200 some people could do less but uh, on average it's about 150 and they have a ton of research and a ton of science that backs this up and any quote unquote master networker or whatever, super connector, however you want to frame them. Anyone that I know, I, I can't, I've i never met one that actually manages relationships well at scale. I, I don't think it can be done. I think CRMs help. I think Facebook and Instagram and those kind of platforms help. But uh, at the end of the day, we all have this this cognitive limit. Um, and I think instead of trying to work against it, acknowledging it is, is probably the right direction. And that's how kind of I approach things. So Dunbar's number is set at 150. And um, when I look at my relationships Actually, the one misconception about Dunbar is that he just has that number of 150, which is not true. He actually has a scale of numbers that basically shows the intensity of different relationships. So his smallest. Uh, so you, the way you, I think of it, like from a visual perspective, is like if you dropped a stone in a pond, in a still pond, and you see like the the, the water ripples. So the the smallest kind of circle or the smallest ripple, so to speak, would be like your kin relationships, um, which are ultimately generally like your family and those kind of things. And usually that's capped at about five people. And these people are tend to be like those that have your back. And there's actually, oddly enough, there's a, a book uh, written by Keith Ferrazzi. He wrote a book called Never Eat Alone, uh, which is really popular, but he wrote another book called Who's Got Your Back? And in that book, they interviewed a thousand people at random and they asked them one question to one question only, who has your back? Surprisingly, 55% of people felt like nobody had their back. Even more surprisingly, 60% of those people were married. So um, we live in a time where, you know, social isolation is a, is a huge problem. And we fall into this fallacy that because we have 500 Facebook friends that we're, you know, we have actual relationships, um, which, you know, Proves to, to, to not be the case. Like I always say, like it doesn't matter how many friends you can count, it matters how many friends you can count on. So for me, I'm very conscious of like, who are those five relationships um, or, you know, four to six relationships that are like my core relationships that are people who have my back that, you know, if I got divorced tomorrow, I could sleep on their couch, so to speak, like that's my filter. Um, and if you don't have those relationships, it's really important to, to foster those relationships. So even if you only have one, ensuring that, that you keep that relationship kind of paramount uh, and top of mind before anything else. Um, So that's the core group. Uh, The second group uh, is connectors and that's usually like 20 to 25 people um, that I have in that group at a time. Uh, And these are people um, that, I mean, I created this group because I did a dinner, for example, last year in this city that I live in called Waterloo, which is an hour outside of Toronto. And the reason I did the dinner, uh, like I do most dinners is just to, you know, connect with fascinating people locally. And when I did this dinner, I had about 40 people at it. And most of them I didn't know well. And these were like some really big movers and shakers locally. And the one thing was, is that I realized there was a guy who came in, uh, who was a lawyer, who's kind of born and raised in the, in the city. Um, and he knew about 95% of the, that pe- of the people at that dinner. And after the dinner, I I thought to myself, I'm like, I could either try to maintain these 40 relationships, or I can just build a deep relationship with him. And he can be like that catalyst that like, if I need something locally, he's connected with that person. And I have a few friends like that who are almost like these these nodes or these connectors, so to speak. So instead of like, there's a whole notion of like, I'd rather have four quarters than 100 pennies, right? It's much easier to manage four relationships versus 100. So, uh, I have a group of quote unquote connectors that I try to invest a lot of, you know, time with, so to speak, as far as nurturing those relationships, because I know those, those relationships almost work at at scale on some level. Um, then I have community, which is like 150 who are like my peers. And thankfully, given the work that I do, um, it falls within like the people that we serve at, 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 mastermind talks, because, you know, we have 150 people at mastermind talks that have 150. 35 of them to my wedding. I mean, these are my favorite people on the planet. So I'm in a very blessed position where the lines between work and life and friends and all that kind of stuff are very much blurred. So, uh, but community is ultimately like your peer group. Um, So even if you're not in my position, just who are your your peers or your like-minded individuals? And then uh, once you go above that, then I have um, like uh, Kevin Kelly's thousand true fan theory, uh, which is basically the the philosophy around that is that uh, if you have a thousand true fans, you can be uh, creative of any kind. You could be like a, a music artist, a magician, a performer. If you have a thousand true fans, you can earn a, a, a solid living. That's kind of my my philosophy of like when people follow me on on Facebook and Instagram or like my Facebook friends and that kind of stuff would generally fall within that like that thousand true true fan theory. And then I have like the basically, uh, but like my community that's like thousand or more that just like our random followers on platforms, social platforms and that kind of stuff. So I try to be very conscious of like where I allocate my time and who's in those buckets um, so that I don't just have this sea of friends where I go a millimeter deep in a million different directions. Uh, I want to go deep with a very core group of people, which is again, those core, the core group, the community, sorry, core group,
0: uh, connectors and then community. Got it. I love that. I think that's such a great model that that people can start to think about because once you realize that there's only, you know, so much you can actually pack into your relationships, sure. Then people will start, you know, being more thoughtful about who they actually spend their time with, which is I think the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. I mean the, the truth of the matter is it takes work, right? Like investing in relationships takes work, takes time, takes bandwidth. Um and again, like it's, uh, I see so many people and I'm guilty of this as well, just spreading themselves way too thin and treating, you can't treat all relationships the same. You simply can't. And you need to prioritize them. Um, so that's, that's the model I've, I've somewhat kind of introduced, uh, in my own life over the last two years or so. And it's, it's, it's been
0: working really well. Nice. Awesome. So I kind of want to switch things up just a tiny bit sure, um, and kind of want to go back into the younger Jason um, and kind of, could you tell us a little bit about how it felt when you took that first piece of advice that you got from, you know, one of your first mentors and saw either, you know, something work or something go bad, or could you just tell us like what you learned from that moment?
1: Yeah. So my first mentor ever, my first like official mentor, um, because I think also the whole notion of like mentorship people are like, you know, I need to find that one mentor. But the truth of the matter is we live in such a beautiful time when you can be mentored by almost anybody virtually. So if you want to, you know, if you're a fan of Seth Godin, yes, you can like reach out to Seth and do lunch with him and that kind of stuff. But he has millions of written words out there on his blog and his books and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can consume, like you could dedicate a full month, if not more, just digging into to his work and he can be almost through osmosis like, mentor on some level. Um, And then once you go through all that, then maybe you can reach out to them and say like, Hey, (laughs) I need to go from like, good to great information. And maybe we can sit down type thing. But um, for me, my first mentor, I remember vividly, I was actually, there was a magazine uh, locally here, similar to like an ink magazine for business. And there was this guy who was featured in it, who would um, help entrepreneurs get secure loans and grants and stuff like that from the government. And I was 18 at the time. And I'm like, I've always heard about these like grants for young entrepreneurs. um, But I have no clue how to like, where to find information or how to be considered for one. So I sent him an email and I said, you know, is this something you could help me with? And politely, he said, like, no, like he, he specializes more in like tech companies and all that kind of stuff. So I said, okay. So the following month, that same magazine Did a three-page spread on, or six-page spread actually on me and my business, Um, and as far as like what we were focused on for the next eighteen months and all that kind of stuff. And that same guy saw it, and he ended up reaching back out to me, and he said, "You know what? Let's let's do dinner." And this actually somewhat plays into like, are you promising as an individual, right? Because initially, when I reached out, he had no context; he didn't think anything. Special of me, so to speak. But when he saw that magazine article, he's like, Well, this is somebody who's again promising on some level. So he, he reached out. We ended up going for dinner. And I remember one of the, we were talking just about the business. I was thinking, I think I was probably doing about $5,000 a month at the time. And uh, he, uh, towards the end of dinner, he's like, well, Imagine a time when you're doing like $80,000 a month. And I remember like saying, "Oh yeah, like I could totally see it, like intellectually, but emotionally, I'm like, that's never going to happen for me. There's no way whatsoever I'll be able to, you know, build a business where I'm doing eighty thousand dollars a month." But lo and behold, about three and a half years later, him and I stayed in touch throughout the years. But but three and a half years later, we did our first nine hundred thousand dollar month, and that's when it hit me. That's when I had that memory that um, only three years prior, I couldn't imagine doing you know, a 10th of that. And now I'm doing, you know, 10x um, that amount. So uh, it just goes to show like the power of, of your peers, so to speak, and the power of being a proximity people who, who think bigger. Um, and that fundamentally kind of shifted everything uh, for me because I very much had a limiting belief that I was never going to grow a business past kind of what I was already at.
0: Love that. And it definitely reminds people of the, you know, become so good that they can't ignore you. Um, that that quote and it seems like you were doing that and you had the early signs of it. And then someone was like, hey, hey, come here. Let, let, let's sit down for, for dinner. And then it was like, oh, wow, like this kid actually is, you know, up to something great. Um, so, no, that thanks so much for sharing that story, Jason.
1: And I love, I love that quote. I use it all the time because, again, so many people are in a rush to, like, connect with all these big names and all that kind of stuff. But it's very different um, when you reach out to somebody who's a big name and you're like, hey, can you help me and all this kind of stuff versus if they hear about you and they see you almost as like a peer. So there's there's definitely some big name people that one day I'd like to, you know, meet and connect with and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, instead of focusing my energy on, on trying to, you know, speed up that process, so to speak, I focus my energy on just doing great work um, and making my own little mark. And because ultimately we want to be connected to, to again like-minded individuals and people who we see as assets. Um, so um, yeah, trying to foster and, and sharpen my own kind of unique abilities so that uh, yeah, when the opportunity comes for me to cross paths with these individuals, I can I can be seen as not only a peer but an asset to them.
0: Nice, no, couldn't agree with that more. Awesome, and kind of one last question that um, not sure. I guess I'll just, I'll just go with it. Sure. Um, <laughs> what's, the, what's a topic that you're incredibly interested in, but you haven't really shared with a lot of people? Oh,
1: interested in, but I haven't shared with a lot of people. I don't know. It's um, it's it's interesting because I I tend to be a pretty transparent person um, when it comes to like my personal life and business life and that kind of stuff. You know, the one thing that I think is is timely. And it's something I haven't formulated a full viewpoint on yet is the whole notion of diversity. And because I also, I believe uh, in the whole philosophy of diversity and inclusion, uh, for sure, obviously, being in the community space. Um, But I think, you know, some people are going about it the wrong way. And I I see that in events where they have like a specific quota of like, we need X amount of these people, X amount of that people. um, And it doesn't work. Um, so it's one of those things that I, 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 want to talk about and not talk about like, Hey, I have the answers, but I want to participate in these kind of discussions with, with, with folks, but I still haven't fully formulated my own kind of views on it. I'm still very much in the collection phase, so to speak. So talking to a lot of people, trying to figure out what I think the, the best direction is, and then have people kind of poke holes at it. So that's that's one thing I haven't shared my, uh, much, but it's in the back of my mind. And I definitely want to lean into that more in the future.
0: Love that. And if you need someone to help uh, poke holes, uh, feel free. I would love to help. I appreciate it. I know, especially
1: the, the, in the line of work that you do. Like I said, it, it's a hot topic um, in the in the event space, in the community space, even when it comes to diversity on stages, like the amount of men versus women that 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 are on panels and that kind of stuff. And I don't think it's, it's a, it's a clear cut kind of answer or solution out there. Um, but it's definitely a discussion I want to participate in. Cause you know, we've been doing this for, for six years and I think there's, there's, there's pros and cons to, to what's out there in the marketplace. And yeah. Um, so like I said, that, that's kind of, I'm going to be an area of focus over the next little bit is getting clear on, on my own kind of personal thoughts, my own uh, philosophies, and then um, just having great conversations with great people and then see if we can yeah, come to some kind of solution together.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I really love how um, you mentioned that you're in the collection phase and really respect that a lot that you're currently forming your opinion around it. I was listening to Gary Vee the other day and he says this over and over again, but he says that he doesn't predict the future. Mm-hmm. He just talks about what's actually happening right now. And before, you know, he goes out and says anything, he actually executes and practices, you know, the different strategies and tactics that he's actually talking about. Mm-hmm. So I, I really, really, you just want to point that out and that people know that like it's not a coincidence that you both approach you know forming your opinions and ideas in similar ways
1: yeah well I mean it's it's uh, I have no problem being wrong um, and being proven wrong um, right the thing is is like I don't maybe it has to do with the times with like social media that everything you say especially the more public you get it is recorded so like a lot like it makes you really think and really be methodical about how you view things and, and, and what you say because you know if you say something stupid, that you haven't fully thought through, um, that may haunt you for the rest of your life, as it should. And I think it just puts people on their toes. And uh, it just puts more of an emphasis on like, I want to have kind of everything lined up and, and everything, and, but also being open to be proven wrong, even when I have everything lined up. So,
0: um, so yeah. Uh, that, that's awesome. And... Um, one last actual question. Sure. I think this might be a better one to end on and then we can kind <laughs> of... yeah,
1: I went too long on that question or took it in a different direction.
0: Oh, no, it's all good. That, that's the beauty of post-production. So what is the biggest misconception about you?
1: Mm, that I like people. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, it is a misconception. And like people, I actually I don't it's yeah it's weird um given the, the space that i'm in given that i'm quote unquote the relationship guy like i was named by forbes it's like one of the top networkers to watch and all this kind of stuff so this is natural assumption that a am this huge extrovert which i'm not um and that b i love all people uh and i don't um i love a core group of people deeply um so like the, the people that we we that are in our community and all that kind of stuff, like I would take a bullet for the majority of those people. Like these are some of my favorite people on the planet. Um, and I do have like, you know, a soft spot for for the world and, and different, you know, initiatives and, and causes and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I'm just very focused when it comes to my bandwidth and almost like my empathy as well on some level. Um, and it's, it's, it's weird. Cause I, yeah, I just care about a core group of people incredibly, incredibly deeply to the point that they're you know almost like family, and they are. I mean, we we we're doing a family vacation every year as part of Mastermind talks. We do a family vacation, um, and you know we have twenty three families that are joining us. Um, we're doing a Disney cruise in February, so we're all flying to Miami. We're doing this six day cruise together, um, and I just yeah. And that's just a misconception is that I I love everybody and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And although I do like a lot of people, I care about a core group of people above everything else.
0: Got it. No, that that's, that makes total sense. And it's funny too, because uh, one of my other guests, Jessica Lynn from Workbench, she also had the, the same exact thing. She is, you know, not this, you know, outgoing person all the time, but it's crazy that I also feel a similar way. And it's very interesting that we all say that about ourselves when we're in this, like such a public and people facing, <laughs> you know, position. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's something a lot of people I know talk about behind the scenes.
0: Awesome. Well, Jason, um, this has been such a fun conversation. Um, for those listening um, that want to follow up or learn more about what you do, uh, where can people you know c- contact you or find you online?
1: Yeah, so I mean, all those stand... I have a pretty unique name. So like, I, thankfully, I have like all the social media handles um, as Jason Gaynard. So J-A-Y-S-O-N-G-A-I-G-N-A-R-D. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is something I'm finally leaning into now. So um, yeah, those are some some ways you can reach out or, or just kind of stay up to what I'm working on. And then um, Mastermind Talks is mmt.community uh, is the website. And uh, Community Made is a podcast I have, which is communitymade.com.
0: Awesome. Well, you guys have heard it first here. Um, super happy that Jason hopped on with us today. And I will link out to all of those um, links in the show notes. And until next time... Thanks for listening to the Community Builder Podcast. If you received an ounce of value from this podcast, share it with your friends. Oh yeah, don't forget to leave me a five-star review. I need those. Remember, each perfectly laid brick moves you one step closer to building your community.